first episode of Only Being You Unfiltered. All of us are so excited to start our podcast and share our own perspectives, experiences, stories, and discussions around a wide variety of topics. My name is Suraj, and I am joined by Aditi, Ravi, Iman, and Alize today. Would you all be okay with introducing yourselves? Um, my name is Elise. I'm from New Mexico. I'm a blog writer and I'm really excited to talk about topics that I'm passionate about. My name is Ravi Garasai and I'm from the state of California. I am a member of the Only Being New Court Committee and I'm excited to be part of this podcast to have these discussions about these important issues and raise awareness about them. Hi everyone, my name is Aditi Sinthir. I'm from New Jersey and I'm a social media coordinator in Only Being You, and I'm excited to be here because I also want to raise awareness about these issues. Hi, my name is Iman Ahmed. I'm from, I'm from Oklahoma, and my role in Only Being You is being a blog writer. I'm so excited for this podcast because all of the things we're going to be talking about today are going to be very interesting and hopefully unfiltered. Awesome. Uh, today's episode will be focused on mental health awareness, especially in regard to BIPOC or Black Indigenous people of color, mental health issues, LGBTQIA plus mental health issues, and eating disorders. Especially today, mental health awareness isn't appreciated enough, and we hope that our discussions today will help create a platform to further spread awareness. All right, so with our first segment about Black Indigenous people of color, our opening question that I always wanted to ask is how does the stigma surrounding mental health affect you? Do you feel like you're able to express yourself or do you feel restricted at times? I can go ahead and start with the first question and that question is how do current beauty standards and Eurocentric beauty standards affect your mental health and do you have any struggles with it? Personally for me uh, as a black woman Eurocentric beauty standards they do in a sense it really depends on uh, where you live and where you come from. Personally, for me, I live in Oklahoma, so the place where I live, there are many, it's not very diverse. And so I've kind of learned to live with it in a sense, but also to know that I have beauty of my own and that um, being the same as other people doesn't make you unique. Um, I, and how I struggle with it is more like at a younger age where you see like Barbie dolls and this regular American girl dolls, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's when you're most vulnerable as a child. And that's when I guess people of color and also for myself, where we tend to lack in self-esteem. But um, being in an environment where I am different also has also helped in some ways, even though it's also tearing me down in some ways, but I'm stronger because of it. I feel like I can definitely agree when you said that everyone's kind of like beautiful in their own way um, because like it also affects my mental health too because growing up um, you're always like shown like in movies and everywhere else that you know a girl is supposed to just have makeup on and she's supposed to be like the certain body type and it's just not really fair for um, especially people like me um, because I have like darker skin compared to some of my other friends. And so, um, you know, the point where you also made, like, it's made you stronger. I feel like I'm definitely learning a lot more. And in an environment where um, we're starting to have this discussion, um, I feel like these beauty standards are finally going to change, uh, but in a good way. Along with that, it's um, the idea of blonde hair, blue eyes, while anybody who has blonde hair and blue eyes, no hate to them, they are the Eurocentric standard. 
And it's because of many, many years of just those people having those rights. It links back to things like slavery and oppression. Um, and with that being said, uh, mental, the m- mental health wise, it affects self-esteem from a younger age because that's when we're most vulnerable. Uh, Ravi, would you like to go? Of course. Why is it important for there to be Black, Indigenous, people of color, or BIPOC representation in the media? I can answer this question. Um, I would definitely say that, tying back into the last question that Iman actually posed, um, in terms of beauty standards and Eurocentric beauty standards, a lot of the causes are definitely because of colonization, oppression, and slavery but also definitely because of portrayal in the media too. And I think that if there's enough BIPOC, Black and Indigenous people of color representation in the media and just how important it is to just spread awareness around these different types of um, uh, of portrayal in terms of people in general, I feel like it's just gonna lead to a lot more appreciation for different kinds of people, which I think is just so important. Yeah, and like instead of hiding our diversity, I feel like as a country and as the world in general, we should be able to celebrate it. Um, and so just showing that the world is different and not everyone is the like the same um, skin color and all that stuff, it really helps to motivate other people to just come out and just be themselves instead of try to be someone else. I think it's a good thing to have a diverse representation media and people from different groups, including Black Indigenous people of color in the media, because it shows different, it is different groups, different groups in the media helps with uh, people see different perspectives, different, uh, people who have different well, that's not not different ideology, but it's more different uh, people who can identify with different groups. Uh, people from if people like black indigenous people of color can identify with. If they can see their representation, they think, "Oh, I can also do that." Yeah, I definitely feel like, as you said, Ravi, um, if we see ourselves represented in the media, it just makes us want to um, also like embrace who we are in general, which I think is just so important. Um, I also think that just in general in schools, um, a lot of schools don't necessarily have the support for BIPOC and Black Indigenous people of color, um, which I just think is just such uh, a bad thing, especially in the current status quo. Yeah. Um, so do you think that school counselors should be trained better to treat um, people from minorities or anyone who has struggles? Yeah, I definitely think um, school counselors should be better trained. Um, I know from personal experience, I have a lot of friends who are first generation immigrants and also um, people who had a lot of struggles to begin with ever since they were born. Um, and school counselors and just the school themselves, school in general, aren't really like equipped with the number of resources that they should be having to actually deal with these or treat these people. I mean, um, to treat these people with the actual resources that they need. And um, I think this is just such a systemic problem, especially today, because um, a lot of these students just don't have enough resources to actually um, get um, support from their schools, which I just think is very important to actually like spend more resources and time on. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, personally, in a school where I go, uh, most of the kids like go to their st- um, like counselors um, rather than their teachers or like the principal or anything because they're known to help students no matter what. And if the school counselor isn't properly trained, then the students can't really get the help that they need. And even if things like if they don't want to tell their parents that they're going to the student, like the school counselor, um, I've had to not I've not had to do that. But I know my friends have to do that sometimes. And if the school counselor can't be there for the students, then no one really can. So if they're properly trained, then it helps the students feel more comfortable in school. Yeah, exactly. I, for one, um, have a great relationship with my school counselor. My school counselor um, at my old high school was um, Hispanic and she was extremely uh, um, empathetic and really understanding. Um, But I know for a lot of my other classmates, they didn't have the same support from their counselors and the principals and the staff, um, even from other schools. And I just think this is just such a problem, especially in schools now. Um, I know like, for example, during our homecoming dance, which is a little bit different, but Um, there was this incident where this white person actually was committing cultural appropriation by wearing Native American headdresses, et cetera. And there was no repercussions. The school didn't do anything about it, which honestly brings us to our next topic about cultural appropriation. I like what you said about how you had a Hispanic counselor and you could like, she, because of that, most uh, you were, I think you were implying because of that, she understood you better. And this goes back to uh, people of color representation, not only in the media, but also in like schools and stuff and in other areas where it does not have to be like all white people in a sense, while they are all, well, everybody, everybody's loved, you know, it, you'd be better off being understood by someone who's just like you until people who are not like you can finally understand you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, how does everyone in here feel about like cultural appropriation? I mean, especially in the current status quo today. Well, cultural appropriation, it's like, it's a a reminder that what we get mocked for all of a sudden becomes the trend. And that's not what many people of color like because oftentimes whenever we do it, it's not cool. But whenever people, white people specifically do it, it's fine because they're the trend centers and that's the trend setters and that's what they have wanted sometimes. Also like just in general, going back to the the concept of cultural appropriation, I feel like people just don't understand what cultural appropriation is. Um, There's a difference between appreciating a culture and appropriating it completely without any respect for the culture and what that identity means for a certain select group of people. I know going back to like TikTok dances, um, a lot of non-Black creators routinely profit off of Black creator dances and so many other things, and they just take them as like tokens. And I just think that's just so wrong, especially now. Um, And cultural appropriation is something that people really need to recognize for what it is. It's not appreciating a culture. It's a lot more different than that. And people need to understand that there's a fine line between the two. I agree. There's there's a significant, this gets confused a lot. A lot of people think cultural appropriation and appreciation are the same. They're not. Uh, cultural appropriation is uh, wearing Native American headdresses and, and uh, saying, um, taking things out of proper context using them in inappropriate context in a, in a wrong way. 
while appreciation can just be like going to an Indian restaurant or something and having a good time and ha and having a good meal. That's completely different than going to uh, taking something out of a context and like a Native American headdress and going to your prom or something like that. That's totally inappropriate. Yeah, exactly. Like treating cultures like aesthetics is just so wrong. Um, I think it's not just limited to like the media. I just have seen it in so many different parts of my life. And I'm sure all of you guys have too. Um, does anyone want to share their own experiences with witnessing cultural appropriation? What were your reactions like? Well, I live in Oklahoma and Oklahoma is known for Native American culture, especially like Cherokee, Choctaw, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I also go to PWI, predominantly white school. And a lot of them think that a lot of their like jewelry and dresses, they think it's cool. And uh, their excuse for wearing these like for certain like dances, like you said, or events, is because they think it looks cool and then they claim a Native American heritage by like 164. Like, oh, I have descendants. And I mean, it's kind of evident that they don't. And um, so because of that, you know, it's really common, especially in Oklahoma, for those people to just say that they are a descendant of them. And uh, many people do this actually, but it's very negligent of the fact that there aren't like, you know, full blood Native Americans or half blood or even a fourth blood who have lost their culture because of the oppression they used to have back in like the 1800s. What they did was mocked for, they had the Trail of Tears, all that kind of stuff. And now it's led to the fact that um, those people who they lived with, like, you know, native, like people who immigrated to Oklahoma, the land and all that kind of stuff, they had their type of land and then they were shoved into many small sections of land and then now they're taking now their culture is taken away and that's probably the biggest of like personally culture appropriation that i've seen uh, but media wise there's a lot of um, uh, black culture appropriation which i agree with Wow, thanks for sharing, Iman. I, yeah, I completely agree. I think that I have experienced cultural appropriation or witnessed it on a much smaller scale than you have, for sure. But um, it's intense and extreme, like how much, how rampant cultural appropriation is in the current status quo. And I think that it's just really important that we just focus on the question about like, how can we make or improve mental health awareness and also like awareness about cultural appropriation in BIPOC communities? Yes, like while I don't identify as like a Native American, I feel bad for those who do and and go to my school and live in the state because you know everybody uh, everybody around there just kind of ignores it, and only people of color seem to understand it and witness it and feel terrible for them. I think a main part of all of this has to do with like getting educated and getting educated on the right information. Um, and not just like a random source. So like when you ask the question how we can improve mental health awareness, like even in general, is just to get educated. And um, I think a great way for everyone to do that is to start with schools because everyone is obviously um, a student and they're super young. So the moment we like uh, tell them all of this stuff, um, it's better for them. It's easier for them to understand because they pick up all this stuff and then they carry it to like hopefully their children and like the future generations. So I think a lot of it just has to do with 
educating our future generations with the right information. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's a lot of like misinformation, um, especially like spread around in the globe. Um, for example, Instagram, news sources, um, certain blogs, a lot of them carry like wrong information that's completely like false. And I think it's important for people to understand where the information is coming from, look more closely at those sources and also like understand like, it's really important where you get that information from because a lot of the information can shape your own personal opinions and also the information that's being passed down generations and offspring, et cetera. So I think it's really important that people concentrate more on where they're getting their information as well as how that affects their perception of different people and different um, things in the news today. So yeah, that was our discussion around uh, BIPOC mental health issues, cultural appropriation. Um, our next segment is around LGBTQIA mental health issues. So Iman, do you want to start off with a question? Yes. So my question is, according to Trevor Project and True Colors United and several meta-analysis, as much as 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQ, this definitely points to a large problem within our society in terms of acceptance. Many families Oscar child, okay. Yeah, ostracized their kids. Many families ostracized their kids and other family members for their own identities. What do you think are some problem solutions, so are some possible solutions to this problem? Well, I personally would like to start off that I do not identify with the LGBT community. I'm a straight person. But I do notice that there is a lot of stigma around it. And also as someone who comes from a, from a religion, I am Muslim, by the way, and my religion does not technically support them. Um, that doesn't mean we have to outcast people for them. It doesn't mean we have to go out of our way to hate people because, you know, we don't control other people. And this has a lot, this has more to do with maybe religion or just social acceptance, because as of right now, back like maybe 1900s or something, uh, the LGBT community was definitely not accepted. And um, it first starts off with being with, with the idea that being a part of the LGBT community does not mean that's bad. And there's a whole lot of stigma around the fact that it's deemed as embarrassing or a social outcast. And um, the as somebody who, you know, doesn't identify them, but, you know, works with people like a lot of people in my class are lgbtqi and it's just the idea that they're they're they are different but that doesn't mean they're bad the whole stigma around being different and bad is a completely other thing that our older generation like generate like boomers <laughs> i don't know all those people have defined being different in any way whether it be people of color the lgbtqi community or just literally anyone who doesn't match the stereotypical um being back then if they don't match it then they're automatically seen as different and maybe even bad and that's probably the biggest problem here uh for those who identify as lgbtq and who are homeless they're homeless because they don't their family doesn't want them to be a part of the family name which just proves to show that the only way you're going to fix this for anyone for that matter, is to just understand that being different is being okay. And it won't even be considered different anymore if we accept it. Um, uh, some solutions would also be just being educated and understanding, parents understanding that, you know, children 
who grow up to be adults are not going to, you're not going to always have rain over them. You know, it's like, they're going to live on their own and times are changing. Someone who technically cannot support them, I would say that they're still human and that, you know, we cannot treat people differently just because they don't fit within our standards. Um, and that, you know, everyone's supposed to be well respected and that people who are in the LGBTQ community should be respected and should have a place to talk to, I mean, have a person to talk to and they shouldn't be receiving hate because at the end of the day, whatever religion you are, whatever whatever you think about it, it doesn't matter because they are still human and they should just be able to do what they want. It really, it's very annoying and I think disrespectful when people go out of their way to try to be like, oh, you're a part of this, oh, exclude you, or they try to dig things just to cause problems. And it proves the point that people just cannot mind their own business and cannot, and if in, and they dig stuff and then they don't want to respect them. It's just, it's honestly awful. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, another possible solution is probably like not justifying your reasoning to hate them. Like I know so many people recently, um, there's been a lot of TikToks of this um, person, of this usually white woman called a Karen and they try to, you know, fight people um, and say like, oh, the Bible doesn't um, agree with this. When in reality, not all people are Christian. So um, not all people will agree with that specific um, religion. And so things like that are also really upsetting. Um, so maybe like saying, um, even if you know someone uh, part of the LGBTQ community, um, or anything, just like saying that you're there for them and that you don't need to justify like, oh, I don't hate you because my religion allows this. Just like saying that I'm here for you is more than enough because any amount of support will truly help them. It's not even that. It's the idea that people use religion to be like, oh, I, I like for example my religion doesn't support the LGBT community but the difference between not supporting and hating on them are two different things not supporting yeah. means not supporting means okay like maybe you won't go to a pride fest or you know you won't go out of your way to donate to LGBTQ like communities like you won't go out of your way but hating on them is going out of your way to support conversion therapy and excluding them in group activities and making sure they don't they don't have health care that they can't do what they want to do they can't get married whatever it's like that's hating on them that's going out of your way to make other people's lives miserable yeah and exactly that's not of that's none of our business whoever that may be yeah and just like if you think about it if someone from your family is um you know in the closet and they and they see that like you're hating on someone that they may become or like they are it's just gonna lead to like things like depression and all that stuff which you wouldn't want to you know see that to done to your loved ones so just like why go out of your way to hate someone that literally did nothing to you i agree and if, if if some if your family member tells you or if you have if someone tells you like as like you have like a child or someone who tells you that they're LGBTQ like in this situation, I think well they're still part of your family. Don't don't kick them out onto the street. <laughs> that is I I think that that is 
you should you, these people should be accepted that is you may not think that this is you may your religion may not agree with this but that does not mean that I don't see the uh, I think that there should we should accept these people and for who they are and there's still family at the end at the end of the day so I also want to add that um, uh, the LGBT community does not need anyone's like acceptance like they can be where they are like it's not like I hate it whenever they say like I want you guys to accept them. like no you are fine just the way you are like you don't need other people's approval to be who you are you know like I, I it, it's just something that's always bothered me whereas people are that like someone who's coming out like please accept me like no sis like you are, you don't need acceptance just be who you are like if anybody has a problem with it that's a them problem like you don't need approval from other people i agree i'm just saying that family members should not throw yeah, yeah especially people out of their homes because especially of the family members they're like the first people to be like oh we don't accept you we don't do this like who said that they were asking because you accepted that person the moment they were in your family Exactly. Yeah, I really like that point, Iman. Like you really, you literally accept them once you're in your family. Um, I think that what's really appalling to me is when people use religion or justify um, their hatred towards people who are part of the LGBTQIA plus community um, or anyone in general um, to justify hate. And I just feel like that's completely wrong, especially right now and just um, in a place where, yeah, we're improving. It's certainly a more accepting community, especially in the United States. Um, but there's still so much more work to do. Um, as we have seen with the statistic, um, almost like 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQIA+, as, according to the Trump Project and True Colors United, and several meta-analyses. And we just really need to look into um, what are these roots of these problems? And also like when you have a family member or friend who hasn't come out yet and they're trusting you with that information, um, like what is the best way to react to that? The uh, oh, is, is my, my question still? Uh, the best way to react to that is to just, you know, follow the morals that, that you're given. Um, you wouldn't, like, like I said, they're just the same as anyone else. And especially if they're living in a com community where they know that if they ever come out to anybody else, that they'll get, like, you know, castrated or whatever. They'll get beaten up, hated on. You need to keep either if they're like, you know, staying in the closet, but coming out to you, you need to keep it a secret. Um, you need to just understand that there's someone there for them, you know, and even if you can't support the like the person as what or what or what they do, you know, still be like, hey, like, you're not like, it's okay. Like, it's none of my business what you do, but know that you don't deserve to get hated on. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, another good thing to just help out someone who hasn't really come out yet is to give them, like, any resources that you know are trustworthy um, that might help them. Because if they're, like, new to the community and if they don't really have, like, the proper resources, um, they can't really educate themselves correctly. And if they, um, you know, if you help them out, like, even in something like that, um, even though it may be super small, it's still going to go a long way because it still shows that you're there for them. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think it's really important to give the right resources, um, especially for 
friend or family who comes out just so that they're when they're new to the community, it's really important that they have those resources um, to make it easier for them and also so they don't get the wrong information, et cetera. Um, Alize, do you want to ask our next question? Um, what are some ways in which society can move away from heteronormative structures and norms? Um, I think we could just start talking about the community at like a younger age, because I grew up with a gay aunt. I didn't understand why people hated against, like hated her for it. I didn't understand that being a lesbian was wrong because I grew up with it. It wasn't until I was older and I was around more people who were closed off to it that it was wrong in their eyes. I never saw it that way. So I think maybe just getting kids used to the fact that there are other sexualities, um, people would feel more comfortable coming out and talking about it and being who they are. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Alize. Um, I actually have like um, kind of like a um, similar experience. Uh, one of my close friends in Corvallis, Oregon, which is where I live currently, um, they have two moms and we've been friends ever since I was like around four years old. And um, I always used to be friends with them. And I was also really confused like why um, my friend used to get so much hate because we used to go to the same school and they were constantly targeted. She was constantly targeted all the time um, because she had two moms. And I was a little bit confused, like why that's such a bad thing. I didn't understand um, until I became a little bit more, a little older. And I understood like more about like certain perceptions people have of others who are part of the LGBTQI plus, plus community. And I still don't understand why people have to hate or use hate um, against people who are literally not doing anything to any other, pre any other people. Um, Though that's my two cents. I would also like to add the fact that, like, I did not know what the LGBT community was until maybe seventh, eighth grade. And even then, um, I didn't know what any of the letters stood for. I didn't know what really it meant. I, I always thought that, like, being gay or lesbian was an insult. And for like maybe a year or so up until high school, I thought that it was it was really bad. And it's I blame my parents for that because they were very um don't know about this, don't know about that. Like kind of I was a really sheltered kid, I'll say that when I came to the LGBT community. Um, and it was because of their fear of me becoming a part of that community. Well, I am not a part of that community just because of nature's ways. Um, the idea that you can shelter someone from like just knowledge and that's what kind of produces um the ignorance especially around like i know christians do this as well where they kind of kind of shelter their child just you know because apparently their logic is that if they don't know about it they don't have the feeling um and i don't think that's true at least from what I've researched. And even then, sometimes I catch myself like not understanding something because it wasn't explained to me. And that's coming from someone who, you know, like I said, I'm not a part of it. And so uh, everything has to be explained to me. And I believe that there should be more information just so we don't offend you guys, whoever is a part of that community. Yeah, um, I also feel like if there's like a definition for quote unquote normal, um, that is taught to a lot of people, especially I heard like in kindergarten, um, uh, when you're using like a book, um, which is like a storybook to, for like young children. Um, 
if they see something is normal when there's like a mom and a dad and a family, which is completely normal, and they have like, I don't know, a dog and everything's happy. That's not the reality. Like a lot of people said, some people have two moms, some people have two dads, some people have like no parents at all. And it's fine. Um, Like that's the thing. If they define normal as like a specific type of, I don't know, family or reality, I feel like that should change. And that starts with things like storybooks for kindergartners. Like you can have two dads and two daughters and that's fine like so yeah that's just it's just weird to see how um people teach kids from like a very young age the definition of normal um but I'm glad that it's still changing today and a lot of people are getting educated on it yeah I definitely agree I think it's really important to examine like the current heteronormative structures and norms that are in place today um, and yeah, it is changing for sure. I like how you pointed at the other thing about like the storybooks and kindergarten and stuff like that. Um, and also I come from a, an, an Indian family, which is pretty sheltered. Uh, my parents um, always tried to like shelter me from everything um, ever since I was really young. And as a result, I didn't really know about a lot of things until I was a little bit older and I was able to find information on my own. And um, I understand why my parents sheltered me, but at the same time, I'm still kind of upset about that because um, a lot of these things aren't things you should be sheltering from. Um, it's just honestly something that needs to be talked about and um, it happens in nature. So I don't understand why it's something that needs to be like hidden or anything. And so that just brings me to the next question. Um, how do you think ethnic background and um, the intersectionality, meaning like when ethnic background comes with like in between like the LGBTQIA community, et cetera, um, how does that affect like the mental health and the ability to come out, et cetera? Um, I come from a Hispanic background, and most of that time means that they're very, very Catholic. So due to that, they kind of have a closed off mindset um, about, you know, homosexuality, um, LGBT entirely. Um, I know for a fact, when I was younger, and I was coming out as a bisexual person, my grandmother couldn't comprehend that people could like all genders you know what I mean so I could see how like ethnicity and the way that your culture runs actually affects how you view other things in the world and it, sometimes that could be very very harmful because you're kind of taught to hide who you truly are inside and I feel like maybe if we kind of educated the cultures a little bit more about what it is, then maybe they can at least semi start to accept it. I would also like to add that the concept of, um, you know, being homo like homosexual LGBT community among maybe people who are like 60, 70 years plus, they cannot understand it. They don't even comprehend it. And it's oftentimes because they have lived for quite a while and um, some of them don't even realize that they might be a part of it and others like imagine themselves and imagine only what they experience which is straight you know straight love straight affection and they're they couldn't even and you know I myself can't comprehend what it's like to like another woman but I know that other people do it and for them it's like 
uh, they're more of a base-to-base logic type of thing. Their logic, not just logic in general, their logic, what they have always known. Um, they, and which is why they refuse to comprehend it is because they're, you know, they're a bit on the older side and they've been around for so long and the idea of them learning a new concept at that age just doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, Iman, I agree with you. Um, I don't think it's like, like completely their fault though, because that's what, you know, the previous generations taught them, but I still feel like um, they should still be understanding because the world's always going to be changing and it's not always going to be like, according to my view or according to someone else's view. Um, So yeah, I feel like it doesn't hurt to be kind to someone and just putting yourself in their shoes um, and just be accepting of people because like if you know them um and then they for example come out that doesn't change their personality um so you should still be like kind to different people even if you don't necessarily agree with it you should you shouldn't go out of your way to hate them yeah exactly I completely agree with you yeah um especially like for for me um personally um I come from a Hindu background and um, in Hinduism, there are a lot of like, um, many of the deities are LGBTQIA+. Um, but I think, especially around like many South Asian cultures in general, I think the problem with um, many like children or people who are part of the families being LGBTQIA+, is more around the, like the fact that it would harm the family's reputation and like how people would see like the family um, in general and like status and stuff. Um, which I think is just really like has to do with like being an immigrant etc and also being part of like third world cultures and I think um, it's really important to find ways to increase societal acceptance of the LGBTQIA plus community Um, so yeah what are some pathways to like possibly help with that I feel like I say this a lot, but probably getting educated. It is so important just to spread any sort of information. Um, And even if like anyone who's listening to the episode, if they learn something, then I'm more than happy to, you know, spread it because it's probably going to help someone or change someone's life. So just getting educated. I agree. And by educated, I would, I think you, I would assume you mean like, you don't have to get a college degree in ethnic studies or what or gender studies. You just need to ha- you just need to have basically try to understand, have a basic uh, just even a basic understanding. Try try to try to try to try to try to learn, try to understand uh, more about the community and and um, don't and try to be accepting of them. Yeah. Thing is, oh wait, sorry. You can go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just I just want to add a quick thing. Um, and even if like you don't have the resources or the proper resources, you can talk to someone who's part of that community because um, if you learn, if you hear different experiences, you're gonna feel like um, I don't know. You're just gonna feel kind of like a part of it in a way, and you're gonna see the hardships and the struggles that they had to go through too. So if you don't have the proper resources. Perhaps you can talk to someone who's part of that community. Another thing what I was going to say is just letting go of ego when it comes to other people's lives. 
What I mean by that is the biggest thing as to why some of us cannot accept something is because we think that our way is better. And so when it comes to learning about the LGBTQI community, um, uh, people older than us often have, um, have an instilled moral that their way is the best way. And many people have that, including even ourselves at this age. You know, we're going to be old and we're going to believe that our way is the best way. And for some other issues, who knows what that's going to be in the future. And it's up to us to understand that our way might not be the best way. And that does not mean that their way is the best way either. It means that every, like there's all sorts of ways and having that mindset, you will be able to understand and learn more about other people. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I also like everything you guys pointed out, but one of the other suggestions I was going to like give for our audience is this is what something I did. Um, I read some books by LGBTQI plus authors and also around like struggles of LGBTQI notable public figures, et cetera. And I think that just really helps because um, it's a really easy way to empathize or sympathize even if you can't really relate to their struggles. Um, and it's a lot better for you to like hear from their own personal stories than looking at an Insta post and just seeing like, these are like the facts and figures of something, you know? It's just best to like hear someone's stories and understand um, where they're coming from and what it is to be that, that way. And hopefully that helps people understand more about um, what it is to be LGBTQIA. Yes, I like what you said about that. Anyways, are we going on to the next question? Yes, um, so our third segment, which is our last segment, um, this is focused on our third aspect of mental health awareness, but, but it's around eating disorders. So um, eating disorders is definitely something that I feel like um, the media doesn't do an adequate job of covering. And while BIPOC teenagers are 50% more likely to exhibit bulimic behavior, as stated by the National Association of Anorexia Nervosa and Associated Disorders, many studies have shown that they're significantly less likely to be asked about these symptoms by a doctor in comparison to white teens. What are some ways to make medical professionals more aware of these statistics in hopes of improving care for all parties involved? Again, this also ties in with our past discussion about BIPOC mental health awareness, uh, but not just mental health awareness, but also about discrimination, um, even in the medical field between um, those who are suffering with eating disorders who might be BIPOC versus um, non-BIPOC individuals who are suffering with the same eating disorders. I think for one, um, one possible way is to maybe help uh, medical professionals understand that there's implicit biases involved in a lot of like the medical field. I, for one, I'm not very experienced um, in the medical field at all. I just recently graduated from high school, but I think that there's always been a systemic bias in terms of how um, medical professionals treat those who might identify with as black indigenous people of color or people who might be white. Um, I know for especially people who identify as um, people of color, they're a lot less, less likely to actually be cured um, if they're having a heart attack or other diseases and there are actually more risks of fatalities and actually dying at the hospital if, if they're just a person of color. Um, and I just think that's such a bad thing to understand that that's actually something that goes on in society, even in the medical field, which is supposed to be such a caring environment for all people. Does anyone else have anything to add to that question? Um, yes, it kind of just goes to show that um, um, the idea that 
people of color don't experience pain the same way white people do, or the idea that um, we don't need as much help. And, you know, even uh, I was reading a survey study that said that, you know, some like med school students believe like a, a good portion of them believed that black people did not feel the same way, the same pain as the other people or, or people of color did not feel the same pain as white people. And that's like recent studies, not, not like something from like the 1900s or something. It was like this, this decade where med students who are being trained to be doctors uh, believe that we don't feel the same pain. And on top of that, they couldn't identify certain skin to, skin to, skin conditions and certain bruises on, uh, they could do it on a white patient, but they could not do it on a black patient because they were not trained for that. Um, and like thinking this with eating disorders, it's like they kind of, they try to look over it. They don't, they don't think, people are capable of uh, so they are you know it kind of feeds into the idea that black women and uh, women of people of color that they're supposed to be stronger or they don't need as much help it feeds into that um, social standard and that's awful yeah that's just insane honestly that people just don't recognize pain for what it is like there's discrimination even in that um and that just honestly just brings up so many questions about like where we should even start um, because spreading awareness about that, that's just the first step. But like, if there's implicit biases in the medical field, I mean, what are some possible ways to actually help with that, honestly? I am not a medical expert. I have no knowledge about how the training for these for doctors works. But, so I'm not able to give a good answer on that because I, I have no ex expertise or understanding of the field. Yeah, that's perfectly fine. Same here, honestly. Um, I would just say, like, maybe having, maybe in medical schools, again, I don't know much about this, but um, having people, like, examine these statistics more closely and pay more attention to also, like, the data that um, Iman also presented, which is also really valuable. Um, Aditi, do you want to ask the next question relating to eating disorders? Sure. Um, so according to nationaleatingdisorder.org, binge eating disorder, often known as BED, often begins in the late teens or early 20s, although it has been reported in both young children and older adults. Even though this is an age where schools can educate youth about BED and other eating disorders, numerous schools choose not to do so. So how can we ensure that the future generation gets educated on this topic, whether that be in or out of school? Um, so personally, I think it's a great way to involve students when I say that there should be clubs relating to this. Um, personally, in my high school, there's a club that I just learned about today called GSA. And it's like, um, it's related with like, um, spreading information about everything, like from eating disorders to mental health and all that stuff. And it's a great way for students to get involved because not only do they learn, but they take an initiative. And so um, if they want to like show colleges and, you know, for future that they can be a leader while also learning about important information, I think that's a great way to spread the information and also help students. So it's kind of like a win-win too. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I think this like having clubs would be, would be definitely really valuable. Also like presenting more information about this in health classes too would be a really valuable thing. 
I agree. I think that this should, I would think this, this should be in the school curriculum because I fairly did, I did not hear anything about eating disorders until I was in junior high school and I, I did not receive any education on it. And I think it's important to teach kids this speak so they know that the, what the effects of eating disorders are because it can be quite dangerous. And I think parents should also talk to their kids about eating disorders because it's, eating disorders are very serious and they're not a joke. Yeah, eating disorders are like a prominent cause of death among teens and just people in general. And people need to understand it's a really serious issue that's currently going on. Um, and it's kind of embarrassing that this is not in our school cur curriculum. I know for me uh, personally, I never heard about anything related to eating disorders like you, Ravi, um, in health class. I just learned about it mostly in like my junior BYU health class. So not even like school related, like in my own school. So um, that is just very disheartening. But yeah, um, also like just in the media too, I feel like the media doesn't like portray this enough as well. And um, how does like, Iman, do you wanna like portray, like say the next question relating to the media and eating disorders? Yes. How does the media and its representation of eating disorders affect you the way they glamorize it, et cetera? Um, so eating disorders, it is kind of like Netflix, Netflix candy for directors. They like to add it in there. And um, while there's no hate of adding it in there, it's just the way they add it in. Um, there are many shows like off the top of my head. Like, um, have you guys watched Never Have I Ever? Yeah, I have. Yeah, when Anisha, Anisha, uh, the way they brought the eating disorder, I didn't like that because they just brought it up as something that she got made fun of for. And um, it's just that they could have used something else. Now, I'm not saying that they shouldn't mention it at all, um, but uh, it, the, the way that the girl, uh, what's her name, Devi, found out, oh, she's so skinny, she probably has an eating disorder. And, you know, that's not even the way it works. First of all, um, you could have an eating disorder and be maybe overweight or just not someone who would look like who, like, you don't have to be, like, bone skinny to having have an eating disorder. Uh, it kind of ignored the fact that uh, people who are overweight, maybe even obese, have an eating disorder because of their weight, because they're made fun of because they're told that they're ugly they probably don't eat as much as they're supposed to and but what I hate is that people who are overweight and they don't eat and they lose a bunch of weight and they're seen as a success they're seen as someone who lost so much weight and they can diet right and they made it past all those stigmas but someone who is skinny or who is relatively at a healthy weight who wants to be even skinnier and they lose all that weight and they're seen as embarrassing and how they have issues and stuff. But the same person who was just had more weight to lose, I guess, and they lost that weight, they're not seen as someone who needs help, even though they technically kind of do. Um, the idea that, oh, that person's skin, and, there's, and, and it kind of goes to, sh in, like, whenever Debbie said that and whenever those Netflix Netflix directors had her say that and dismissed the fact that um, uh, the people who are watching that, who are, who know that they're in that situation, um, they believe that they can't have an eating disorder because they're just, they have weight to lose. And that's not, the, that's not the case. Um, another, 
I, another issue, well, not not issue, like representation of the media is just websites with uh, who who promote eating disorders, um, and they're not taken down, and they're seen as okay to have up. Um, another thing is the fact that you know social media also plays into standards, where you know hourglass, skinny waist, you know, they it plays into beauty beauty standards as well, where they want all these things and that the only way to do that is to be skinny or to be skinny in certain places and uh people who don't know how to diet properly can take that as oh just don't eat just don't eat and that's awful um that's all i have to say on that topic yeah i can go next um i would definitely say like this just definitely ties into um our conversations in the first segment about like eurocentric beauty standards um, and how like a lot of people try to like, or not even like Eurocentric beauty standards, like a lot of these like fitness models on Instagram, et cetera. A lot of people try to like um, look up to these like really unhealthy role models and try to imitate um, them. And I just feel like that's just such a bad thing, especially today. Um, I also like your point about never have I ever, um, especially with Anissa and Davy, the whole thing about like Davy um, saying Anissa has anorexia nervosa and just spreading that to the entire school. Um, I think that's just the Netflix writers, um, they, you know, it's really important to understand like anorexia nervosa is a really serious issue and they kind of just played it off as if it wasn't, honestly. I think in today's society, we see um, women as, um, how do I explain it? Um, shown in different lights that might not actually be healthy. Um, I remember used to watching like different YouTubers who never really came out with an eating disorder. And she was literally as skinny as a pencil. I remember seeing that and being a bigger person and hating myself for it, even though I was a healthy weight for my own age, height, everything. And I think that the more that we show that on social media, the worse eating disorders are going to get. And how that how we don't actually show like males with eating disorders and we only really ever talk about females with eating disorders how are we gonna like you know change the way that society sees eating disorders if we never actually truly talk about what it is the different types you really only ever see anorexic women um when we're talking about eating disorders you never actually see someone binge eating or someone exercising too much or, you know, a male seeing a really muscular person. I think as media changes over the years, it has gotten both worse and better at the same time. Like the early 2000s, it was just really just being really skinny, kind of like skin and bones. And how today it's now like, we have people like Lizzo who's fatter and is proud of herself. And I think we need more representation like that in order to you know, feel healthy and feel beautiful within ourselves. Yeah, I like your point, Alizé. I think it's really important to like um, have more body positivity, um, especially in the media and um, for people to like also see themselves like represented on the internet um, and that we should all like appreciate different body types, not just the uh, ideal fitness models or people who are um, super pencil thin, um, who might not actually be healthy in real life. And we shouldn't look up to those kind of people. 
I also want to say that while I am all for body positivity, uh, like uh, like like uh, Sandra just said, um, we shouldn't be praising people who are super skinny who you know might have a problem or who you don't know them, but you don't need to be praising someone for being super skinny. But at the same time, we shouldn't be praising people for being like you know obese or overweight. And what I mean by that is, regardless of your body, you know you are beautiful no matter what. And even if you don't believe your beautiful people's opinions over you do not matter. But that doesn't mean that people who are obese, who are overweight, are at a healthy weight. Now, this also does not imply that we should tell them that they're not at a healthy weight because we are not doctors. Um, we are not people with doctor degrees. But uh, we, don't ha- we don't have to tell people that uh, what you're doing is okay. Because, you know, there are some people out there where, you know, maybe it's likely that they're not healthy. And to encourage, you know, being overweight also is it's a fact that we all learn in health science class that, you know, you're not supposed to be, you know, extremely obese or anything like that. And while no one should ever hate on those people and no one should ever comment on their weight, that goes for being, uh, don't say that they're ugly and stuff, but don't say that they're okay. The same with a super fit person. We have a tendency of praising those super fit people and they might be fit and that's great for them, but we don't have to go out of our way. It's none of our business in a sense, because if we have to praise, you know, the super fit and the super skinny people, we have to praise everyone. And if we cannot praise those people, we cannot praise everyone. Um, It shows that like our people's words matter so much, especially online. Um, People go out of their way to say Lizzo is at not at a healthy weight. And people go out of their way to say that Lizzo is at a healthy weight. But the truth is, is that we don't know what Lizzo is at because we're not doctors. And that we can only say that people are beautiful just the way they are. And that's the one, uh, that's the one phrase we should always stick with. Um, commenting on who's at a healthy weight and who isn't uh, is wrong because it contributes into the problem. But saying that people are beautiful and that you don't need to change, we shouldn't even be commenting on who needs to change and who doesn't. Okay, but that doesn't mean you encourage gaining weight or encourage losing weight. That also ties into that. If we encourage certain things, we're implying that you would look better looking like this or looking like that. Yeah, I completely agree, Iman. I think it's really important to understand like people on Instagram and just social media, we're not doctors. So um, putting someone down for being quote unquote overweight is not for business. Um, and it's not really something that we should be doing. We should just be embracing all people regardless. Um, Aditya, do you have anything to add to this? Um, not really, because I feel like we talked about um, how we should just be accepting of everyone and that we don't really know the real story. I just feel like um, if we truly want to like act on this, we can always like say that oh I truly accept you for who you are but if you go behind someone's back and you're like oh I don't really think she's fit I think she needs some help that's not really nice just stuff like that um personally um I I always look up to like these models and they're always like all the same body type which is great good for them um but like I just feel like there should be more representation for other body types too um so that like when people like me do look up to them, they can see someone like themselves or someone like their friends or family. So just small stuff like that can really go a long way and um, influence another person's life. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Thanks for sharing, Aditi. Um, also, Ravi, do you want to like finish the last question about like treatment options, etc.? Of course. Do you think that do you think there are adequate resources and treatment options that are effective for people who might be struggling with one or more eating disorders? I personally do not think so, because most most people do not have a good understanding of what eating disorders are, and you're not we're not taught it in schools. People don't talk about it. Whenever they do, it's a joke usually. So, and people don't schools do not. I don't know of any resources provided by schools or anything, but they're not they're not medical doctors at schools, so I wouldn't expect them to. But the I I just don't think there's adequate awareness for it, and we, we there are definitely resources that can be used, but I don't I think there's there's a stigma around it, and there's not enough there's not enough awareness for it, and yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that there's not an adequate number of resources and treatment options um, for people who might be struggling with. Um, one or more eating different dis eating disorders, um, especially in like schools. I think we really need to examine like the way that even our health classes don't even talk about eating disorders, and it's not even in our curriculum, and for many schools at least. And um, a lot of people like treat it as a joke, like you said, Ravi. Um, and I think it's really important to like understand that eating disorders are actually like a real thing. It's really important to talk about and it's really important for students in high school and even younger, honestly, to understand that this is a real problem that affects so many different people and it's not talked about as much, but it really affects so many different people and we should talk about it more. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, personally, I was really lucky because I went to a middle school where my health teacher, um, he gave us a lot of projects and uh, we spent a lot of time researching eating disorders. And uh, he was like, if you have any questions or if you think that this specific website isn't really trustworthy, you can always come to me. Um, and then he gave us like physical books too. So I think stuff like that, um, like you said, there aren't a lot of schools that do that, but um, I feel like we should aim for that um, because as you know, the world keeps on changing, um, if we educate our future generation to accept people for who they are and still learn about them, um, maybe they can help their family or their friends too. Okay, I'm gonna like agree with you guys, but also disagree with you guys. But the reason I'm disagreeing is because there are um, resources out there. And I'm gonna agree because we don't spread awareness to those resources. I found all eating disorder resources on my own, like the different therapies and rehabs. So it's out there, it's just not shared enough or not shared in the correct ways. Like an eating person with an eating disorder shouldn't have to look for these resources themselves. It should, you know, be there or ready for them to reach out and look to like, you know, find. Like schools should have more resources on eating disorders, mental health issues, but they don't. They focus more on academics compared to how their students are actually doing. I completely agree with you. I think that, you know, schools, you know, they have access to all sorts of things 
and that they should bring doctors to come and talk about eating disorders. And doctors, I'm assuming they know about it because they're supposed to treat it. Um, and, you know, I remember having a nurse come in for sex education, explaining to us, you know, sex education, but we didn't see anybody talk. And then I'm, I'm assuming if they can do that, they can do other stuff. And that and if you educate people properly, counselors are also help. They're not made to deal with the health aspect, but they're made to deal with the psychological aspect. And those people should come and talk to other kids to make sure. And that it would help people find out, you know, who's starting to develop those habits as well. You know, catching an eating disorder, like a little bit earlier before, you know, the person starts deciding that this is what they want to do. They can realize that it's not healthy and if they want reach out for help yeah i completely agree with your point and even like when everyone said like and even when you said um how you disagreed um because like there are resources out there i completely agree but we just fail to um help out and actually spread that information um and just like you shouldn't it shouldn't be like so it shouldn't be my responsibility to if I'm suffering with an eating disorder, I'm not, but I'm just using myself as an example. Um, if I'm suffering from an eating disorder, I shouldn't have to go out of my way to research and use the wrong resources or, you know, stay up until one trying to find out a doctor who can help me. Like, I just feel like that also kind of ties in with privilege. I just uh, wish that there was like a way to um, help people without them like begging for help, if that makes sense. I agree. The but I agree that there's I also agree that there's a lot of there's a lot of resources available for people with eating disorders, but I just people need to be able to know where to find them and need, people need to be aware of it. And I don't think you need to have like doctors at the school 24/7 because a lot of schools can't don't have the ability or the resources for that. So I think just the ability to direct people to places where they can find resources would be good and would probably be a reasonable solution. Yeah, for sure. I think that the point about, like you were already talking about, like the school doesn't have like enough resources. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I feel like schools are just really underfunded right now in the status quo and they've always been. Um, but in terms of like what Alize, Iman, and Aditi talked about how about how like they're really there's the resources are out there, but um, the pathway to like finding the res those resources is not really like explained. Um, I think that's really important to note, and that's a really like good point because um, the resources are there. Obviously, the websites are there, the organizations are there, um, agencies, etc., um, and the help is there if you need it. Um, but teaching people how to access those resources is really not there in schools or just anywhere in general um and i think if we just like give more um for people to understand where they can access those resources and how they can and how they go about it that might be really important and help a lot uh, i would just like to mention while well, i do believe that most schools you know that ha have all different financial situations personally for my school they gave us MacBooks every they give us MacBooks every two years, like MacBook the newest ones. Um, they have a lot of technology that they put in place for academics. So well, I definitely agree that there's not there's some schools who like cannot afford like they cannot afford having a doctor come in, 
But for my school, I think they could afford like a talk with a doctor one or two times a year for many other things, including eating disorders. It just really it comes down to accountability and who's willing to be accountable for their actions and who's willing to bring up the fact that, you know, some school, some schools, some people can do certain things and that they don't have to hide behind the whole statistic of uh, a certain number of schools can't do this and they hide behind that statistic, which. Yeah, I completely agree with Iman's point. I think it's uh, really important to examine like the priorities of the schools, et cetera. Um, a lot of schools are prioritize the wrong things. So um, it's really important to note that eating disorders are a really big problem. But I think the real like lack of like funding is predominantly among like most public schools. So like, like general public schools. Um, so yeah, but does anyone else have anything other to add to this question? Okay. Um, thanks to everyone who listened to our podcast first episode of Only Being You Unfiltered today. Um, all of us, uh, me, Aditi, Iman, Alizé, and Ravi, we all loved having you with us. And we're so excited to launch our second episode very soon. Uh, see you soon. Bye. Mm-hmm.